Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. <laughs> my dad is my hero. I'll always be there to take your call and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. (laughs) Today's episode is about a story of love. Love doesn't have to be romantic love. It can be wholesome love. Today, I'm interviewing a nanny, a nanny that I worked with at Nanny 911, and her love was loving other people's children. She has overcome hardship by loving others, and love still wins out. Nanny Yvonne, welcome. Oh my gosh, I was listening to some of your past footage that's online, which is so much fun. It just brings back so many memories. It really does, doesn't it? I mean, I actually could never watch it when it was on. I was like, oh no, I can't watch it. But I've got some really good memories from then. You know, it's bittersweet, really, because that was my first taste of Hollywood. And I wasn't necessarily enthralled by it, to be honest. What went on in the homes was very different than what was shown in people's homes. So much more went into it, you know, and I thought I put my heart and soul into it. And I'm still friends with some of the uh, families, which is nice. And the the pig one, you're right. That was my, that was absolutely my most favorite show. Yeah, I love that that made it into the promo sizzle reel. That is hysterical. Yeah, it, it was by far the funniest. I mean, we had so much fun on the show. And I remember the cameraman, the pig did not like the cameraman. I was just thinking about there was a family where the kid kicked the ball in between someone's legs. And then that, that was turned me. into a that promo. Was, that was the Silcock family. He didn't have any arms. So I'm like, okay, here we go. And I kicked the ball. Of course, it went straight in between his legs. And he was rolling around saying, my penis, my penis. And the cameramen were laughing. I'm like absolutely horrified. But, you know, it was all good fun in the end. I mean, we, him and I became really good friends. But I was like, please don't show that. It makes me look like, you know, I'm some sort of, I don't know. It was funny afterwards. And he kept right. saying, like, while we were on camera on the show, he kept saying, um, my penis. And I kept sort of like, okay, stop it. <laughs> that was me. Yeah, you know, you can't plan those moments. No, you can't. And I was a little upset when they said they were going to show it for the promo. And, you know, because it was my first show and I thought they're going to hate me because I'd already taken over from the other Nanny Yvonne. And I really did get lots of online, you know, like trolling and really horrible stuff. Really? Um, Yeah. Which for me was like, oh, my God, what have I got myself into? Yeah. I mean, luckily we can laugh about it now. But when I first took over, they were saying, what happened to Nanny Yvonne? She must have been abducted by 
crack addict aliens and because I looked so much older than the other Yvonne and so on and so forth and it was just it was so cruel and that was back then remember I mean that was like 15 20 years ago so I don't know what people put up with now but it certainly wasn't very nice but I remember saying to the on show psychologist I, I told him about this and he's looking at me and you know and he said oh Yvonne I think you dropped your crack pipe you know, in the trailer. <laughs> so we made a joke of it and it was like, okay, all right, I've got to let it go. But I've always been very self-conscious. So it was pretty hard for me, you know, not to take it seriously, you know, sort of thing. But that was a lifetime ago. I mean, I've done so much more since then. And it was just a very tiny, small part of my career. So a good yeah, one. Yeah, let's talk about how you got cast to be on Nanny 911. Yeah, it's a funny story actually. I helped build a school here in Boston and I'd been there for four years, started from scratch, built it up to a really good, pretty good school, I'd say, in Boston. And what happened was the investors kept wanting more and more and more kids enrolled, even if they couldn't access the curriculum. As the admissions director at that point, I really thought, I don't want to do this. I'm not about bums on seats, you know, and I'm not about kids not accessing the education that I know they can't access just because the, the investors want the money. So I finally said to my boss, I'm leaving. And he said, when? And I said, now. And I had this rocky moment and I got my box, you know, and I walked off and I walked out, you know, and walked off into the sunset. And then I thought, uh-oh, what am I going to do now? And I had no idea that they were casting, because the other nanny Yvonne had left, they were casting in Boston. And I had no idea. They were on the television. I was up visiting a friend. And my husband, David, actually got the number, got in touch with the producer. I got home from visiting my friend and we'd had, you know, a pretty good night. And the phone was ringing and it was Hollywood. And it was Nanny 911. And I totally ignored it all day long. They kept ringing. I kept thinking... It's a joke, you know. And then he pulled up outside and he said, what's the matter with you? That there's a producer trying to get you from Hollywood. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Pretty much it was a really quick done deal. I went to meet them. They filmed me with a family while they were here. Just a very short, you know, to see how I would get on. That was it. I remember them calling and saying, uh, we found your nanny. And then I was literally out in, flown off to L.A., you know, went to the studio, met the producers, got the gear, got the hat, you know what I mean? And then started my first show, which was the Silcock family. And I remember um, having a call from a producer, Michael Gretzer. Oh, I remember Michael. He was so sweet. He was lovely, lovely, lovely. And he called me and he said, hello, you know, you're going on this show. And he said, what can I get you for your trailer? And I said, like, what, what do you mean, what can you get me for my trailer? I thought it was some kind of joke. And he said, well, you know, the others sort of get magazines and chocolates and roses. And, and I was like, oh. I said, you know what you can get me? I said, you can get me a smoking jacket and some cigars. <laughs> And him and I became really good friends after that. Because I was like, I don't want any of that. You know, I really, it just, I mean, I genuinely went into this thinking, I'm going to help these families. And I carried on thinking that, you know, until it sort of, when I started seeing the shows and how they were edited, I know they had a formula and they sort of stuck with it because it worked, but it wasn't really me. 
I mean, I genuinely, any, any position that I've ever been in, I've given it 100% and I want results. And I found that I was getting more results off camera than I was the finished product. And that was kind of disappointing for me. Although I have to say the whole thing was fun. I mean, absolute fun. Got to meet you. Oh, I mean, how hard is it, though, to achieve those kind of results in such a short period of time, though? See, you forget, we were there for 100 hours. I mean, 100 hours, we observed them, we went in. Yes, there was the cameras and they were always there the whole time, but there was only certain times when we were on, when you had to disagree with the parents, when you had to have a sit down with the parents and things like that. And one particular family I'm really still good friends with is the Giannettos. And Kelly Giannetto said to me, she said, I can't argue with you, I just agree with you. You know, and then they're like, well, you have to kind of argue with her because that's the show. So, you know, things like that were a little strange for me because I'm not an actress. You know, I'm I'm me, you know, what you see is what you get. So that was difficult. Yeah, do you feel like you had to portray like the strict nanny image? Yes, having said that, I am an old-fashioned nanny, but I also have an enormous amount of empathy and enormous and I could have done things differently. Again, some of the the things that were actually filmed during the show were better to me than the show. <laughs> you know, some of the stuff that went on. I mean, there were some genuinely lovely moments. I mean, I remember one, it was the pig family and she wanted to hit me over the head with the frying pan, which she really did. But at the end of it, she really said to me, she said, thank you. Because I knew why she was keeping the children in her bed. Should I say it? I suppose. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it was for birth control. So that worked for her, but it didn't work for the family. So those are the kind of conversations that we were having off camera. You can't kind of have those conversations on camera because it's not fair on the family. I suppose that's in the past. I mean, kids are good for birth control. Yeah, they are, especially when you sleep with them. <laughs> no, and, and kick the old husband out. You know, because there was no need for them to be in bed, and that was I'd be in the bed with them, and that was one of the one of the things that I was working on was getting them out of the bed. But you know, th- then you're delving really deep into somebody's marriage, and I don't think they sign up for that. You know, right. I think I don't think they have any idea how intrusive it actually is. And I think it's a bit of a shock because if I was allowed to do what I wanted to do, I would have had that conversation with her, you know, and she probably would have had a very good conversation with me. But you don't want to do it in front of 20 men on the set, knowing that it's going to be broadcast to at one point there was 15 million watching the show. Yeah, it was just a very different experience. And again, the other two ladies had experience with Hollywood. I hadn't. So, yeah, I won't knock it. I met some incredible people and had some incredible times not everyone can say oh I was on television you know and plus it was shown all over the world it was shown in England I had a brother with cerebral palsy and he to me was him and I had a bond that wasn't physical it was more we were so connected it was like there was a connection but it wasn't something tangible it's just so he used to watch my shows and and he he's actually better on the computer than I am he taught himself how to use the computer and he would send me messages like Yvonne tonight nanny 911 you know and he was ever so proud 
really, really proud. So things like that, I'm really happy about. And I learned a lot from it. So, but I've yeah. also learned a lot from other stuff that I've, I've done. And I love just, that your brother was a big fan. I mean, how cool is that? Did you guys talk about the show? Oh yeah, he, it was difficult to communicate with him. We communicated non-verbally, although he used to call me oven which was fine. That was, he could say Yvonne, but he could say certain words, you know, but I was taught from a very early age, you know, when he came home from the hospital, I really took over. He was like my living baby doll because he couldn't walk, couldn't talk, but he was highly, highly intelligent. And I never learned sign language and I kind of regress it now, but then I didn't need it with him. I mean, I'm very expressive, as you can probably tell, and we used our eyes a lot. And we used our facial expressions. There was just this bond and we communicated without speaking. And it's, it's something that I've always taught every child I've looked after is that if I'm sitting at a dinner table with you and you're misbehaving, look at this face, look at the look, and we can communicate without talking. So I've always taught them that every child I've ever looked after. And I learned that from my brother. And I also learned that, you know, I don't go into a situation and wonder what the hell's going on. You know, I can actually see through, I can assess a situation very, very quickly because that's something that I was taught. He taught me. He taught me so much and so, so much. And unfortunately passed away in 2018, which- I'm so sorry. I know you messaged me about that. You had like a rough couple of years there. Mm, yeah, I lost two. I lost my youngest, who again was like, he was like my child, you know, he's like my baby. Oh my and, God. I'm so and, sorry. Yeah, it, I took a real downer. I actually had a breakdown. So my eldest brother helped me through it almost a year after, after the, my youngest died, my eldest brother died. So it was like, whoa. I lost a lot of confidence, didn't have much to start with, but I lost a lot. And I've slowly started, you know, and then the pandemic, but I spent most of the pandemic over with my mom because obviously she lost two sons. I'm so far away and I've spent so much time with her that her and I actually, it's the most we've ever spent together since I was a baby or a teenager. Well, not even a teenager, she was gone, but yeah. So this longest time we spent together, I am so much like her. We, I'm like mini me. It's really quite nice, actually. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we're very, very similar. And we have the same sense of humor. And when we had David, David was my my brother. We really were a team, you know, looking after him. And again, we all seem to be on the same wavelength. My youngest, my eldest brother and my mom and myself were all on this different plane. And, you know, again, we could communicate without talking. And yeah, so after spending all this time with my mom, I figured out, yeah, I, she's a really good lady. She's really good. She's like, you know, she's going to be turning 86 in April. God bless she, her. Wow. She's a stunning woman. Stunning. And she works still. You know, she has her uh, antique shop and she goes to work and she she's always dressing up. Even when she goes to the supermarket, you know, the earrings, the hair, the everything. I don't take after her. I really don't in that way. I mean, you know, jewelry. There's jewelry everywhere. And she, every day everything matches and everything. But I never learned that from her. <laughs> So, oh my gosh. Did I you feel know. that way about her as a child? No, I did not have a very good childhood. And I, I don't like to say too much because 
because we are on such a good footing, but I was in the foster care system for a while. And I think that, again, I've been doing a lot of courses on brain activity of children and children that do not get necessarily the nurture and what they need when they grow social, emotional, you know, the whole the whole gambit. And I can tell when you see a list of things, when a child has gone through the kind of background that I had, you know, there was abuse and, you know, all sorts of things. And it's low self-esteem. It's, you know, everything that I actually have. And I'm like, yep, check, 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 check. It's all me. Yeah, that's it. That's why I, I love working with children, because I understand, you know, when you come from that kind of background, you can really understand how important it is to get that foundation correct when you're raising children. So even though I haven't had any of my own, I have been pregnant. People always ask me, but I it wasn't meant to be. So I've looked after other people's children and I've looked after them just as well as I would my own. That's such a selfless thing to do. Caretaking, well, oh my gosh, is a lot of work. It has to be the right fit. I've had a few in my years, but the last, I'm still with a family. I've been with them 14 years. I know. So wow, you're like part of the family. Yeah. Well, the mother and I, the dad was away busy working. He went away a lot. So the mum and I pretty much raised this amazing child. The, the good thing is, is he's got a lot of my really, really British humor and he's got some really bad songs that, you know, not, not, rude but songs you know that I was brought up with my old man's a dustman he wears a dustman's cap you know he, he just it's ridiculous songs but he is I gave my heart and soul and, and I didn't that was after nanny 911 funnily enough and I didn't want to go back to nannying unless it, it was going to be I would give my all and I did and it was the best thing I've done and now obviously he doesn't need a nanny he's 14 so now I've become the mum's nanny as she calls me I'm her personal assistant but honestly I was a better nanny than I am a personal assistant wow <laughs> the technical stuff terrible but then I have the British accent so when I call you know some of the places that you know she's associated with they kind of forgive me because you know I'm like oh I'm terrible I'm British and I get away with it so it's good so it's all good it's all good and I love love the little boy who's now a young man who I helped raise. I'm, I'm so proud of him. He's amazing. That is so special. Wow. So were you there from the time he was born, really? Yeah, I met him when he was only about six weeks old. And I wasn't going to go back to nannying. And they actually had another nanny. And I was still tied up with the contract for Nanny 911. So I was kind of like, what she would do is she would have me come one day a week. In the end, it got to like, she got rid of her nanny and she, she hired me. We were like sisters. There was always that boundary. You know, she's my boss and she, she still is and she always will be. But there's a trust there. I know her and she knows me, you know, to the core. And to get that trust, to find somebody that has the same values and ideals as you to help raise your children is pretty rare. Very. Oh my God. I had one babysitter, I think that lasted like seven years. I would not give her number to anyone. And mm. she you know, was like, 
part of the family. Well, yeah. Once you find that person, you know, you just, you don't. And everyone wants them. I mean, you know, so many people have, have tried to poach me from her. I just wouldn't do it because that was another thing. You make a commitment. I mean, I didn't, I had no idea that I was still going to be there after 14 years. I still like every day, I'm like, I'm still there. But I think it's out of respect. She respects me and I totally respect her. And I had some of the most wonderful, wonderful years traveling with them, going to places that I could never dream of. You know, it was, it was just wonderful had a lovely 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 time that's fantastic yeah I would love to talk about how you can find a good nanny what are some things that you should look for if you're looking to hire one don't go the cheap route because you're going to get what you pay for I really do think that you've got to find somebody a lot of people go for the younger nannies and I think that's great when you're running after a, a kid at the playground you know but for the babies I think you should go for a more mature nanny, totally. They know what to do. They then don't get distressed. They're not going to, don't go for an old pair. They'll be out every night. I really do think that you should take your time. Like don't grasp, you know, because you're desperate. Don't just grasp at the first one that comes along because you're, you need somebody now kind of thing. Ask a professional. I work with an agency. One of the jobs I was doing with the agency was I had to find nannies to go with parents and there was not enough good nannies around. So I said, no, I can't. Because to me, they were doing it for the money not just for the you know I've taken jobs where I haven't just done it for the money I've done it because I like that person and I like that you know I don't know where it's so I'll do it because there's a fit and you've really got to find that good fit and you don't don't compromise you'll find one in the end but it's it might take you a while so have you you trained nannies I have but again you know being an old-fashioned nanny I remember I went to a training in Boston and I was actually training there and there was this it's like this nemesis it's this this woman and I won't say who she is but she was there the day I got the job she's an American nanny she was there the day I got the job for nanny 911 and it was almost like, you know, the daggers, the green eyes, you know, the you know, she just always had this thing about me. So I was training these nannies and she happened to be there. She was supposed to be doing another another class, but she sat in on mine. And one of the nannies at the back said, what would you do if my child, if a child is biting another child in daycare? I said, I would tell the parents to bite her back. And I don't mean that, you know, take a big chunk out of her arm, but you can't possibly learn anything they don't know how that feels so if you actually show a child like you know it's not nice it it hurt you know and you've got to get the empathy you've got to teach empathy so they will learn not to do that so she stood up it was like I was advocating brutality against children I mean it was horrible and she just really embarrassed me in front of this whole room and I couldn't get my point across because then I lost it's like you you look shocked when I said you know bite them back but it does work I haven't done it because I'm a nanny. I don't do that. But if parents do it, and I again, I don't mean take a big chunk out of their fingers, but you teach them it's cause and effect. It's cause and consequence. Like, you know, like to teach them, don't teach them what to think, teach them how to think. You know, like, how does that work? Well, they don't know if they're going around biting children in the daycare, how that feels. They don't know. So as a parent, 
you can show them. I know that might sound, sound a bit controversial, but funnily enough, the nanny that asked me the questions, she, she was an older nanny. She said, oh, I agree with you. But then this woman had totally destroyed me in front of, you know, this, you know, there was probably 200 people there. And I lost a lot of, again, I lost my confidence. I really did. And I thought, is that the, maybe I said the wrong thing. You know, is that a wrong thing to say? You know, it took me a while to think, no, because that's you. That's what you think. If somebody doesn't agree with it, then you don't do it. Simple. Then I'm not the right one for you. Does that make sense? Yeah. I would love to hear other maybe controversial techniques that you've used as well. Well, the, one of the classic ones is not controversial at all, but if a child is misbehaving, like, you know, say I'm with two children, one of them, you know, has been a little brat, then I'll say, I'm sorry, I really don't want to play with you right now. So I don't do timeouts. I don't do sitting on the stairs because you put yourself in timeout. So I'm like, why don't you go over there and you can play over there? And then I spend all my attention on the next child. And the next thing, they're back there, you know, wanting to join in. And then everyone's happy again. I use a lot of humor to distract and redirect. I mean, a lot of humor. You know, like if a child was having a temper tantrum in the supermarket or something like that, you know, I'd be... 10 out of 10 for that, you know, that's great. And it just, you know, and then they start laughing and then the whole thing sort of just dissolves. So really, it, it really is distraction. And if you take yourself away from and you don't become an audience, then they've got nobody to play to. Inherently, children want your approval. They want you to be with them and love them and, and everything that you want to do. But they're always testing you so you've got to kind of you've got to be smarter than them because they're really smart little people yeah you um, do have to get crafty sometimes I'll be like oh should I put these socks on or does your shirt go on my head yeah Yeah. I've taken a child to school in their pajamas and you know with a change of clothes in the bag and just you know said to the teacher they're going to change as soon as they get to school they're going to change but I'm not having this big rigmarole you know and temper tantrums and you're not going to go to school we'll just do it this way and teachers are pretty good I mean if you're if you're nice to them they're nice to you so I don't expect teachers to teach children things they should be learning at home but it, you know again I respect teachers greatly and they, they have to deal with such a lot so oh, the power struggle starts so young I mean even today like I have to admit I am one of those parents that gets there at like the very last minute the play group is over and today <laughs> I got there like on the last minute and that's hard for kids like they sometimes yeah. want to play and they don't want to have to leave right when it's over right so you're better if you can give them like a five minute buffer oh yeah that's the old classic you know like five minutes you know and then it's like four minutes plus you're teaching them like you know time and countdowns and usually by you know by again I love being with children from the beginning because it's a lot harder to go and fix problems when they're already there and you've got to go in and they're not listening to you and they you know you you have a relationship so I love from the beginning setting these expectations rules boundaries I am a lot of fun but you said like yeah I really am but when 
I'm not happy. You know, my mum used to do it. It's just that face, you know, that I'm not happy face. But they do get it. And again, it's the non-verbal communication, the non-happy face as opposed to the happy face. You know, you must do that as well. But I mean, you've got a busy, you have a busy, busy life. Um, I totally need Yvonne to the rescue. My husband just got a new job. They want him to start before school lets out. So for the next seven weeks, I will be holding down the fort with four kids ranging from 13 to three with my husband in another state, selling a home, figuring out the new schools. Are you going to be moving then? Yeah. Where are you moving to? Texas. In the heart of Texas. That's exciting though. Exciting. But you know what my daughter said? She was like, we've been in this house. Isn't it? Because of losing her friends. And we've been in this house for nine years, but here's the thing. Like it's right before my oldest goes to high school, right before my two middle ones go to middle school and right before the baby enters preschool. So I'm thinking if we're going to do it, do it now. Really the perfect time. It's before they were going to enter new schools anyway. Yeah, that's you though, isn't it? But they're like, oh, you know, no, 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 no. But, you know, build up, I mean, just, it's going to be exciting. I mean, a new house, let them have, they are looking with you, I assume. Yeah, so we're going to go to Texas next week. We're going to check out a couple houses. We're going to check out a couple schools. We're going to check out the area. And yeah, I think it's exciting. It's but really- I am going to try to keep as much as I can the same while we transition. Right. If I wasn't going to England, I'd come and help you. But I'm off to England again. (laughs) I've been like bopping backwards and forwards, spending like, what I don't want to do is I don't want to move to England. I've been here for 34 years. So it's very hard, just little things like your dentist, you know, I know you're going to have to do all this, the dentist, the doctor, the da 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 you know, that kind of thing. And I also don't want my mum to rely on me being there too much because that can become... I can become a crutch and I don't want to do that. I want my mum to still carry on with her life as much as she can, but I also want to be there as much as I can. So it's easy in Boston, actually, to just hop over the pond. It's not too bad. It's only six and a half hours and you're there. So Wow, that's great. That really isn't too far. No, no, not at all. That's why I never wanted to move out to LA or anything. But I'm excited for you. Texas is a great state. Ooh, yeah. Freedom, baby. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. (laughs) Sounds like we're on the same page there. Yes. Great. No, it's great. And they're going to have such a, you know, you've got horse riding and stuff. Yeah, I was totally talking to my daughter about that. I was like, we can ride horses on the beach. She's like, can I ride a pony? Horses are kind of high. Yeah. Okay. We'll get you, not get you a pony, but we'll make sure it's a pony. There's all sorts of cool things that you can really like. I don't know what else. I've never been to a rodeo. Have you? No, but I've watched Yellowstone. I mean, I'm all into cowboys watching Yellowstone. And I think that pushing yourself to challenge yourself and continue to grow and not get complacent is a very hard thing. But I know that's where the magic happens. Absolutely. That's what I'm always trying to do is just keep pushing myself. Well, again, like, you know, after I lost the brothers, I went into this big, I'm surprised how bad I was, this deep, dark place. And, you know, you hear people talk about it and the grief was unbelievable. They say you go through those five stages. I was just like, what a load of rubbish that you, you know, just don't, nobody talked to me about anything. And I I, lay, I just 
got, I was in such a bad way, such a bad place. And it, you literally have to crawl out of this deep, dark hole. And I never got it until it happened to me. And sure enough, yes, you go through those five stages. You definitely do. And it's something, again, to me though, now, I wasn't able to talk about them. But to me now, I can, that's like another bow, you know, to my string because I can help somebody with that. I don't plan on actually going to another family unless it's a baby. That would be my next thing is just to do the baby nurse things because it takes its toll I mean I'm no spring chicken you know what I mean and I I don't think I could give a family what they needed I mean you you've got four that that's a lot of running around yes if you if you needed another grandmother I could do that you are not a grandma you are you are not Oh I know, gosh. but wouldn't that be great, though, if you had another... I'm not... Yeah, but you're a lot younger than me, Rita. But what if you could have, like, your grandmother, because she's not there, but but helping you? Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. That's and, what I'm going to market Kids love that. Like. Oh, my God. Kids love that attention. Well, yeah. And also, it's just something that you're not getting from your grandmother at the moment. With my brother, David, planning everything for him and planning what would happen when my mum died. Because I thought she would go before he would go. He was just, he not consumed me, that sounds horrible, but he was always on my mind. Everything I did revolved around him. Every job I took really was so I could actually go back to England to, to, to see him and be with him. Now I'm glad I didn't have children because I was able to go home more than I probably would have been able to and be with him and you know just he was my life and and I I just didn't see it coming it floored me that's the thing it doesn't matter how old they are either Rena because when I when I do lose my mom again it's gonna it's just gonna be but it, I don't think it's gonna be as bad as when I lost my brother because I wasn't expecting it it just came out the blue it was the connection. It was like when I went to where he lived, because I organized the funeral and everything. I flew home the next day. I wouldn't, not, not, nobody could touch me. Nobody could just go anywhere near me. And I went to see him in the morgue because I had to. I don't know why I did it, but I had to. And then I was full on organizing the funeral and, you know, the death certificate and da 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 da. And he lived quite a long way from my mum. And Again, the only person I would have wanted with me was my eldest brother and he couldn't handle it. So I was on my own. When I went to where he lived, I kept saying, and all like uh, the staff didn't know what to do with me. I kept saying, where is he? I can't feel him. And it was that connection was gone. And, and it was just, that was what so, was, was so devastating. Where was he? Like, what, how, you know, where? I can't even describe it. I don't know, you know, I'm sure people go through that. They didn't even know how to answer me because what can you say? I just felt so lost. So what the only thing I can say to you is don't regret anything and you should go down and see your grandmother. And that's actually why I keep going home to my mum. I, I know that, you know, one day I spent so much many years here and I did live with a lot of regret about the two brothers because I didn't spend as much time with them as I should have or how you feel guilt, you know, that they say you feel guilt and you do. And I felt like I didn't, I should have been there. I shouldn't have been here. I should have been there. I should have spent more time. I shouldn't have never moved to America, you know, should have stayed in England, been with them, you know, for, but it wouldn't have made any difference. I mean, I know that now. 
How did you get to America? I worked in a theatre in London. I wasn't on the stage, darling. But this woman called, um, she was an American woman, and she had, was having problems with her tickets for the theatre. Very simple little thing. She was talking to me and she said, I'm over here looking for a nanny. And I said, oh, are you? And she said, yes, you wouldn't be interested, would you? Like, I mean, talk about strange requests. I was on the other phone trying to sort out tickets. And I said, well... I'm not sure, but, you know, I'll come and meet you. I went and met her. She lives in Charlestown, and I thought it was Charlestown, you know, down south, but it wasn't. It was Charlestown in Boston. And she had twins. And I said to her, I don't have that much experience. You know, I've, I've, I've worked with children, my brother, especially, and other kids, but not with twins. So she put me in touch with another woman who flew me over. Um, I was over here on a year's contract, hated every single second of it. I really did. Because it was, you get what you pay for. They were paying me like $60 a week. And it was like a real, you know, 60 hours a week. And also I did the cleaning. And I thought I was, I thought I was doing really well, but I wasn't. And, you know, this lady, like she would, I would do the cleaning and she would come in and she'd wipe her fingers, you know, to see if I'd clean properly. And the kids had problems because she was a, not of a particularly great mom. And then I met my husband. I was only here six months and I only intended to stay for a year. And then just kind of got stuck, as they say. Time flies, right? Oh my gosh. And how crazy that your husband has the same name as your brother. I know. It was like all of it. And it's funny enough, the first child that I looked after was called David as well. It's like I was surrounded by David. And I'd just left a boyfriend. I'd been with him eight years and he wanted to marry me. And I was like, either I go to America or I'll marry him. And I didn't particularly want to. And his name was Stephen. And the first family I went to was David and Stephen. And I was like, I just can't get away from these people. But yeah, really, really small world, isn't it? I think your life goes in circles. I remember coming to America in probably about six years before I actually moved here with Stephen, my boyfriend. He had a friend who said, I live in New York. And so we decided to fly over. But it was what's that place way up in New York State, you know, like Buffalo or something. I'm like, you know, like this is New York, you know, sure. But we went to we went to Boston for the weekends. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, I'd like to, I'd like to go there. I also wanted to see if you wanted to ask my dad a question. I would love to ask your dad a question. I'd like to know, did he have any help with childcare when you were growing up? And if he did, how did he pick the person that was helping you? And if he didn't, what was his biggest problem raising children then? That's a great question. And yes, we had lots of help. Did. That's a great question. I just wanted to touch one more second because we have one last minute and talk about the full circle thing because you right. were talking about how life is full circle. Yes, my life seems to go in circles. And that was actually one thing. And I went off on a tangent. I thought to myself while we were in Boston for the weekend, oh, it'd be great to come here and be a nanny, you know, and then it literally happened. And then I went to see a clairvoyant and she told me that I would be on a television show. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, no way. And I would also be involved in a school and teaching. And that sort of happened. So I'm trying to manifest some good stuff, you know, so maybe it'll happen. I think people's lives go in circles. 
and that that's very hard for me to explain it probably if we sat down you know I, I guess this is supposed to be like that but we're not but if we actually sat down and and had hours and hours to talk I could probably explain it better but do you get do you get the general gist of what I'm saying a hundred percent I mean I feel like this conversation right now is full circle in a very beautiful way and I'm so happy to have included you in this podcast and in this connection right now I know Switch it over to Grandpa. Uh, what a special episode with what nannies are really all about. Not about the money. It's about whether or not you can find a family that you can almost call your own, where love has to be in the air. And look at the tragedy in her family. She's been able to overcome that by loving other children of someone else's family and making it like her own. And isn't that what being a nanny really has to be all about? Or the prerequisite of being a nanny has to be where it's more than just making money or a job. There has to really be love in that family where you become part of it and really help that family blossom and grow. And what I also found very interesting is that when she's with children, she only uses a positive message. She doesn't give attention to children that are acting out badly. Go play with yourself then. You can't be with others. But she does it in a manner where she's jovial. She's laughing. She's trying really very hard, whether you want to call her being cunning. It's really what she's doing is not giving attention to bad behavior. She's moving on and giving attention to others that will prescribe good values, good feedback from the children, where there's a positivity where then everyone wants to get along when you have that in the air. And the way to get attention is by being good. That is what should be rewarded, that if we do good behavior, that good things happen. And if we have bad behavior, there should be some type of countermeasure to that and not where they get punished necessarily, but where they just don't get rewards for it either. What do you think of that? (laughs) You know, I agree with that philosophy. (laughs) Of course. And he said something to me in a question that when I was growing up, I was fortunate. I didn't have a nanny. But what I had was the love of all of my grandparents, where I was really treated extra special by all of them. None of my other siblings had the same attention from their grandparents that I received. I was, as a small child, I was just loved by everyone. And when a person is loved so much, like I was loved as a little person, I also then grow up and want to share love with as many people as I can. Really, sometimes I'm just a softy because I want to give everybody chances. I want to give everyone opportunities. I want to give everyone a chance to do well if they're associated with me. And that's where maybe that is the definition of caring unconditionally. You are a softy. I'm also guilty of if I say no seven times, it really means yes. If you work me over, I can't help but try to turn it from a no answer into a yes answer. And hopefully I'm not, as my mom and dad used to say also, is that I'm not only a softie, but they don't want me to be the sucker in the room. They don't want me to be where I'm not being smart about it if people are trying to take advantage of me. I try to remind you of that too. Right. So it's important that you're dealing with people that really have a passion and a caring for their fellow human being as well. Otherwise, you're exactly right. It's where you leave yourself open to be taken advantage of. And nobody wants to be stupid, but I would still rather give a person the benefit of the doubt and work with them 
like a brother or a sister, hands-on, and try to see that there's every possibility of having a positive relationship. When we see that that's not possible, we also have to know to move on and find positive connections. And I think the nanny would agree with that, is that we want to be able to be with people, whether of all ages, where there is a positive connection. And none of us want to just waste our time. You know, when Will and I got married, she was so generous. She offered for us to stay in her place at Cape Cod. We didn't end up doing that because remember we were going to move to Boston, but she's so generous. She offered us that. She's a very giving and a very caring person. And I truly believe that all the places that she worked, she did it for also trying to really help people and care for people and love people. And I'm really sorry that some things didn't work out in her own personal life and her family's life. But the truth of the matter is, is that she was still not set back by any of this. She still decided that loving other people is also a very important goal in life. Doesn't necessarily have to be your own family. You can ascertain great heights when the word comes to love by loving others, like you not only love yourself, but even as if they were your own children. And I think that that is a very big plus. And that is the definition of what a good nanny is, where the well-being of that little child means everything to them. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Hold up. 